Hi, I'm Sharon Volman, Editorial Director of ISE. Welcome to Behind the Solutions Podcast. Thanks for joining us as we talk with the leaders and doers behind the telecom networks. Learn why our guests are passionate about creating innovative solutions and sometimes surprised at what they learn about themselves and others along the way. Shirley Bloomfield is Chief Executive Officer of NTCA, the Rural Broadband Association, the premier association representing nearly 850 independent telecommunications companies that are leading innovation in rural and small town America. With more than 30 years of experience representing the country's smallest telecom operators, Bloomfield is an expert on the role of federal communication policies in sustaining the vitality of rural and remote communities and the benefits rural broadband networks bring to millions of American families and businesses and the national economy. Bloomfield has a strong track record of leadership in seeking synergies and aligning strategic partnerships among rural telecom companies, their larger counterparts, other rural utilities, and local and federal governments, further expanding business opportunities for small communications providers. Under her leadership, NTCA has made broadband an integral part of policy conversations in Washington, D.C., and has secured billions of dollars in federal funding for rural service providers to expand, build out, and sustain networks and help close the digital divide. Hi, Shirley. Thank you so much for joining us on ISE's Behind the Solutions podcast. Sharon, it is always a treat to compare notes with you. So I'm looking forward to our discussion today. Thank you. Let's start by lofty goals, which you seem to have and have had for many years. And I respect that commitment and that passion. I like when I read your bio and it says you align strategic partnerships among rural telecom companies, their larger counterparts, which we know there are many, other rural utilities and federal agencies. And obviously the whole goal is to advance digital equality and economic opportunities for rural Americans. Wow, that's a lot. What has been your greatest accomplishment and your greatest frustration? Well, that is loaded on all ends, Sharon, but I will say, so, you know, as I've always looked at this ecosystem, you know, and you look across the country, and I do think, again, one thing, you know, the pandemic really taught us was how important connectivity was and how many people were unconnected. And I think one of the things that I've always loved about NTCA broadband providers has been their sense of service and their sense of we've got to deploy, we've got to build, where can we extend out to? But also knowing realistically that my guys cover about a third of the nation's landmass. Well, that means there's a lot of folks out there who deserve access and connectivity that might not necessarily be within NTCA members' purview. But at the same time, I think that service of commitment, that willingness to serve rural America and and thinking about how do we tap that. So that has long fueled my interest in how do you create alignment? How do you create partnerships? How do you get people to think bigger than themselves to actually be a part of the solution, which I very, very much think NTCA members can be a big part of the solution. So that has been long fueling my commitment to getting people to talk to each other, because I find so often, Sharon, that 
there's these barriers that are kind of artificial barriers. And a lot of times it's just that people are like, I hadn't thought about talking to electric co-ops, or I hadn't thought about seeing what Verizon might be interested in doing in this area, or, you know, what kind of work could we be doing with the local government to actually build broadband in these areas? So, so I will say, you know, that it, when I think about things that have gone well, I think of things like the passage of the Infrastructure Act. I think of the fact that there was this ability to pull together enough interest in this space to say it was really worth a huge commitment, a generational commitment on behalf of the federal government to really close up those gaps, to really get the job done, and knowing that it's going to take a lot of different players to get that done. That was really gratifying. And even sitting there in the Rose Garden and looking across and seeing, you know, the folks from Microsoft and Land of Lakes and all of these different players in there thinking, we're all here because we all know the next steps are going to be very exciting. We have to work together to get it done. Where it's harder, you know, there have definitely been times where I've looked across the ecosystem and seen places where I thought there were some natural partnerships, where there might have been some great opportunities for either rural broadband providers together or in a consortium or with an electric utility or a local government could do something. And I've watched personalities get in the way. Mm-hmm. I'm not on the ground, you know, there's, there's only so much you can drive some of these things. And there's some things that culturally I'm not privy to, but yeah, there's definitely been times where I've watched some of these discussions, not be able to come together. And I, you know, walking away thinking, oh, if only, if only. (laughs) Yes. And I can't imagine because you build so many bridges between groups of people and people themselves. One of the challenges is when I watch that not work is I can hear both sides and I don't know why they can't. Do you ever feel that? You know, and I will say, you've got to get them to peel it back. Sometimes it'll be like, well, we couldn't figure out who's owned the network, who managed the network, who owned the customers. But a lot of times it really does come back to, you know what? We just don't really like and trust each other very much. Well, okay, you know what? I get it. And that I can't help. Right, you can't. Well, you impact a great deal. Let's move to the priorities for the 118th Congress letter. And I'm going to read it so our listeners can hear the background. You sent a letter encouraging lawmakers to, and I'm going to quote, ensure effective and efficient use of broadband infrastructure funding by not taking any shortcuts in mapping, addressing concerns about coordination among programs, leveraging proven technologies and providers, and relaxing the strict build American by American and other procurement and wage related provisions that do not reflect the marketplace in rural areas. Wow. (laughs) Share, share more about, (laughs) (laughs) right. You're like, help us out here. Um, Share more about your leveraging proven technologies, obviously fiber, you know, is a huge uh, topic in that conversation. So does that mean fiber only or other technologies? And let's start there. And then we'll go on to the fun topic of mapping. Okay. So (laughs) in terms of technology, I think, you know, what's really, really important is, again, recognizing this is a once in a lifetime opportunity. So how do you make sure these investments are done right? How do we make sure that we are not in three years turning around and doing this all over again, because that will simply be a waste of time and effort. The other thing that I think has been important for us to stress about why we are bullish on fiber, 
granted, it's going to take every tool in the toolkit. So that is not to say there aren't areas where different products are going to be a better fit or the right fit for whatever reason. But in general, I think um, ensuring that we're looking at speeds and capacity that are compatible with fiber is really important. And, you know, when you think about how much American consumers demand already, I mean, we are already demanding as consumers beyond the scope of some of these requirements. I think we've also learned so much about the need for synchronous speed. I think for a long time, people were like, oh, nobody needs to upload as fast as they download and and all of that. Absolutely, we do. And we demand it. and We want it. We want to stream and we want to uh, do video calls and we want to, you know, do gaming and we want to do telemedicine. All of those things really, truly come down to a fiber technology. It's been interesting because, you know, we're working on the farm bill right now. Got a lot of members of Congress who are starting to question kind of that future proof. And I keep thinking, but why? Why, when you have these resources, would you look for a cheaper alternative if you actually can put in fiber in place? For example, the ReConnect program has four times the number of applications than it has funding available. And all of those applications coming in are for fiber technology. So why would you want to actually take the regulations and dumb it down? I just, I really just don't understand the mentality there because what it says to me, Sharon, is that just good enough is good enough for rural America if you're willing to go backwards. And I think that's absolutely the wrong approach. And then the other thing that I would say about people needing to look at the technology is particularly in a rural market, fiber also has lower operating expenses. So when you think about windshield time, when you think about techs in the field, when you think about you know the repair and, and the augmentation of your network, fiber is so much more cost-effective. So whatever we're thinking about capitalizing now really means lower operating expenses in the future. So again, I just keep thinking, but why? But why wouldn't you? Certainly our message. So true. And now let's talk about no shortcuts and mapping. Wow, the mapping thing has been painful, hasn't it? I am just so glad that nobody gave NTCA a contract to do <laughs> mapping because that is a no-win. You know what? It's a no-win situation. Right. You can't win. Agreed. Whatever you put out is out of date the second you put it out. Yep. And you know, I look at it and honestly, I think the most important part of this is making sure we continue to have those challenge processes and they continue to be robust so that as we go through these cycles, whether they are communities, whether they are providers, have the ability to say, nope, 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 I've got facilities there, come out and check it if you want. Or a community to say, you know what? No, there really is, your your map may show that we're completely covered with 100 by 20, but we're not. Come out and check it out. So I think there's a lot of verifying, challenging, processes that still need to go through. You know, everybody's really focused on this June deadline. All June is going to do is really confirm what each state gets. So that is going to be the state allocation. To me, then the real work begins in terms of, all right, we're getting ready to build end of 2023, 2024, more realistically, where do we need to go? And that is where, again, challenge, verify, confirm, boots on the ground is going to be really important. It is. It, it is. And and as you said, the ongoing dialogue, I mean, when you're deploying fiber, you want it in and good to go. You don't want to redo. It's just a train wreck and very costly. True. <laughs> then let's talk about fiber talent and fiber training and our workforce and how different it is than it was just, you know, a few years ago. 
I shared a stat with you that I'm sure you already know. And I, I love the stat because it says that our industry, the broadband industry, is going to really feel the hurt in 2027. So here we are, we're already having a problem training or finding talent, getting them to engage, getting them trained, and then keeping them, right? Obviously, NTCA has some initiatives there. Talk about it, excuse me, NTCAs, and what our industry overall should be doing better. Talk about the hidden speed bump, right? I mean, right. when we think about all of this money and all of this planning and all these state plans and state broadband offices, and at the end of the day, if you can't get the supplies and you can't get the staff, you know, what are you actually able to do? So NTCA has been really focused on this because I will share every time, you know, stats are one thing. Yep. Every time we get together with a group of our CEOs and I say, what keeps you up at night? It is staffing. It is hiring the people, recruiting the people, keeping the people, training the people. And, you know, the added challenge, Sharon, is that these are in rural markets. Your pool is smaller. You have to sometimes look outside. You've got to be thinking about who you can promote up from within and where you get some of those training resources. So a couple of things that we've really been kind of thinking about in that space. And one of the things that we just recently announced is this partnership with Northwood Technical College in Wisconsin to do some work with them on training programs in the broadband space. They have long been offering this kind of training, but the ability to take it and offer it as an online platform so that companies outside of the Midwest can have access to it. They've got some great virtual reality parts of their training. And then we're adding a digital badging portion that will give some hands-on certification. Apprenticeships are amazing. They are lengthy and they are expensive. And I'm not sure we've got the time for that. So the idea, how do you get as much of this talent as possible? But then we've got to think about how you retain them in a small community. And that's where I look at things like, for example, NTCA runs our own benefit plans. So we have pensions, we have robust savings account, we have great group health, but how do companies utilize those tools to say, we are an attractive place to work. The pay may be different than in Chicago, but you know, frankly, your cost of living and quality of life is going to be different in Chicago as well. So how do we think about that homegrown talent? And how do we think about diversifying that workforce? How do we think about that tech doesn't have to be what you thought that tech always had to look like? How do we ensure that we actually pull diverse voices to the table and really see them as long-term employees, both outside, inside, you know, management, and really kind of grow the talent that we've got? So I think there's a lot of challenges and so when you talk about 2026, 2027, I'm really You're worried like, about 2024, I get you. but I think we've got to give these tools in place to get some of this training because these are great jobs. And the other thing that I will share that I've had the opportunity to talk to NTIA about the difference in a career in a rural broadband company, a community-based provider is you can start off as outside plant. You can start off as an accountant. You can start off in customer service. You can become the CEO someday. Mm -hmm. That is an amazing trajectory. Whereas you can go to work for a large corporation and you know what? You get lost in the mix at some point because you just do. They're big. And, you know, it's really hard to work your way out of that. So I think for young people to think about that, our foundation just produced a guide on careers in rural broadband. We're working with the National Rural Education Association on a toolkit. You know, what are the things you bring to a high school fair, to a college fair, to really start getting these young people, even before they get wed to something else, to be thinking about a career in broadband. And the other thing that I will just share, 
that I'm kind of loving is really looking at the esports community because what a cool thing for companies to sponsor these teams now. And we're really trying to profile and educate our members more on the opportunities in doing that. What I am seeing is that those kids are the next IT staff for my community-based providers. So they are going from being on the esports team to like, hey, you know, Paul Bunyan sponsored me and now I'm kind of interested in the stuff they do. And that is who their youngest recruits then their newest recruits are. And that is a very exciting way to think about creating your own talent pool. Oh, that's so exciting. I just love that. And uh, I'm very pleased that Josh is going to present on that topic at ISE Expo. So I'm jazzed about that. The diversity in our talent pool is so important. And as you said, it has to show different faces and different backgrounds and different thoughts, right? A very obvious piece of that is women. So what is NTCA doing to forward women in telecom? You are singing my heart song right now. Our Women in Telecom initiative is something very near and dear to me because, again, it captures, you know, that 50% of the potential workforce. And I think that when we think about tech and we think about communications fields, you know, they're fields that haven't naturally drawn women into them. And when they have drawn women in, they've been in, you know, maybe finance, customer service, HR. We are watching a growing pool of women rising into the C-suite and into the corner office. And that's been really, really exciting. And we have really tried to create a community of women that lift up other women. So for example, we've been running a mentoring program this year. We have 40 women who've agreed to mentor and 40 mentees. So when you take 40 women executives who are willing to say, I don't care if you are customer service, you are moving you know, something boxes around in the warehouse. I want to mentor you. I want to share with you the wisdom I have picked up in this industry. I think it is a great way for women to pull that hand down and lift others up with them. And again, I think that is where when we think about where we can go in this space, it's very exciting. For example, we've been working with NTIA on capturing some stories of our women in the industry, mm-hmm. on what they've been doing, and some, some short video clips that we're hoping to release in the, in the near term. But listening to these women talk about the satisfaction they get out of being a network engineer and solving problems for customers and getting in the field as a, as a tech to actually go into a customer's home and help them solve some of the problems that they've got on their premise. It is so gratifying and it's so good to see these different faces, right? These women linemen and outdoor techs and, and CEOs. And so again, I think NTCA feels very strongly that we have a role in sharing that if you see it, you can be it. And I think that's really, really important. And I think we've got an obligation. And frankly, I think it will assist our members along as we think about how do we fill that talent gap as well. So true. That is really exciting. I want to be your mentee, please. Come on in. (laughs) Thank you. Hearing you speak always and just your correspondence and emails or the way I watch you interact with Laura, you're so optimistic. And it's said that many successful leaders have that perennial optimism that they really believe wholeheartedly that things will work out for their company. From my perspective, it seems that you have that. Do you, or is it important to feel doubt as well at times? And how does that move you forward through your career and your mission? 
You know, that's such an interesting question. I guess I would say, I'm not sure I would say doubt. And yeah, I am always, the glass is half full. It's what moves me forward. It's the art of the possible. It's thinking, yeah, we can. Yeah, we can. Like the little train, right? Yeah. It's not so much doubt as I've got to interject reality sometimes into it. So for me, it's kind of that whole sense of like, okay, you know, I know where we want to go. I know where I want to get us. And if I've tried five different ways, for me, the important thing is being like, okay, now what is the art of the possible? How to be realistic about things? Because I've got to also learn sometimes to tame it back, that not everything is doable just because I think it's a great idea. And that sense of reality is really important. Uh, My team probably wishes I had it sooner in many processes, but I feel like it really also forces us to kind of push different parameters and then be like, okay, if we can't go here, maybe we can go here. And where does that take us? So again, I would just interplay and interchange those two terms. But yeah, that's an important piece. It's not my natural inclination, but it's something I've had to learn how to develop so that I keep people coming along with me. Otherwise, I think at some point people would just throw up their hands and be like, oh my gosh, Shirley, here we go again, like up another hill. Could you just please stop? They probably think that anyway, just please stop. (laughs) No, I'm sure they don't. I'm sure they wouldn't be there if they didn't. Resetting expectations allows you to then refocus that optimism with a new angle. You obviously are a good learner of yourself, and that's a huge key to being successful. Okay, last question. Let's go to young Shirley, really young Shirley, young girl Shirley. Would she have predicted your success and why or why not? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so young Shirley, I would walk into my parents' dinner parties and pronounce to everybody there that I was going to be the first Jewish woman president. Well, I'm still waiting for both of those traits to actually make it into the presidential office. So I guess I probably always had a pretty high standard for myself. You know, aim high. It's all about aiming high and then getting realistic, Sharon. I I just shared that. You're exactly right. Well, you've made it very far. I think the thing that has always been part of that driver for me was... And thank goodness, because being president, being elected member of Congress, you know what, that's where I'll start. And I'll work for members of Congress. And about six months in, I was like, whoa, this is a rough lifestyle. And you're not really feeling like you're moving the ball. You're having important conversations. But how often are you really actually getting something done? I think I always held myself to a high standard of making a difference. Wherever that plugged in, it was kind of about where can I make a difference? Where can I take what I do and and change something for the good? And first I thought it was going to be the queen of public housing and, you know, after president and then it was Congress. And, and now I'm in the broadband space. And I will say that when I first came to work for NTCA, I knew how to dial the phone when we were the National Telephone Cooperative Association. That was the extent of my skill set. But even then I could see what the idea of connecting people, what a powerful thing. How does that change lives? At least that theme has been consistent. But yeah, I always wanted to do something. You obviously have, and you've inspired other people to do more than something. So thank you very much for your time. Thank you for sharing your thoughts with our audience. And thank you for continuing your passion, Shirley. Sharon, it is always a treat to work with you. We always appreciate the platform that you create to have all of these really important discussions and dialogues. So thank you for what you do as well. Thanks for spending time with us today. Learn about the interesting leaders and doers we'll be interviewing in the future 
by visiting iscmag.com and clicking on podcast. Until next time, stay passionate about learning and be good to your teams.